I think part of what we want to just share a little bit this afternoon is, is what we're doing here and what we've been witnessing this afternoon. Because it's something that glues us to the whole of the history of the church. And that little reading that we've, we've just shared together from 1 Corinthians reminds us of that. Corinth was a really interesting city. It was one of those cities in the Roman Empire, heavily influenced by all sorts of thinking, north, south, east, west, all sorts of ideas. One of the marks about Corinth was the idea that it was, it was free and it was full of opportunity. It was a surprising place for a church to start. I think probably a bit like here. We've always said in Christchurch that this is a surprising place for a church. I suppose all the way back there, when you look at the kind of place that Corinth was, it was the most surprising place for people to believe in Jesus. You wouldn't have expected it. So Paul... Just a little bit of a background, if you're not aware, clear on the story of the Bible, Paul hated Jesus, despised anybody who followed Jesus. He was responsible for the murder of one of the first proclaimers of Jesus, a man called Stephen. And then, in an incredible event, he is confronted by the reality of the living Jesus Christ and his life is completely turned around to the point where ultimately he gives his life because he now believes in the Jesus that he once hated. He goes to Corinth and this is the account that we've just read of him arriving in Corinth. He was a good, solid, historical Jew. That's his heritage. That's where he came from. And the pattern that he'd conducted and all of the time that he went out and he shared the message of Jesus, he would go to the synagogue first. Because that's where he knew at least people had an idea of the background story. At least they had some some kind of concept of where this message of Jesus Christ, this one who was crucified, and then people claim that he died, he was buried, he rose again and returned to heaven. At least they've got a background of where that's come from. That's where he started. And he stayed for a while and he debated and people eventually got angry with him and kicked him out. So he went next door. Started speaking there. And he engages with people in Corinth for 18 months. And what we read in verse 8 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians is this. Crispus the synagogue leader, the one who was probably in charge of all of those who had once rejected and kicked Paul out, actually becomes somebody who now believes in the message of Jesus. But isn't it interesting? He doesn't believe in the synagogue. He believes once he's kicked him out of the synagogue and find that this guy, Paul, just continues to talk about Jesus. 
And here we find Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Exactly what we've just done this afternoon. People have believed and they've been baptized. It's a kind of a picture here. It's a, it's a living picture. It's, it's living beforehand, dying, being buried, being immersed in the grave and then coming right up and living again. That's the picture of baptism. And what we find is people 1975, 80 years ago, something like that, People believed back then and they did what we've just experienced and witnessed this afternoon. They said, I'm going to proclaim and tell you that my life is now immersed in this Jesus. What I find really interesting is that that happened in a place like Corinth. Where do we live? Somebody once reminded me that Las Vegas and Castleford have kind of a heritage together. I guess you kind of got Viva Las Vegas, Viva Cas Vegas, Viva Las Corinth. They're really, really quite similar. The kind of places where People had become so convinced that there was no real hope other than filling their life with pleasure now and anything that I wanted to fill my life with. In Corinth, the town was governed in a sense. It was overseen by the goddess of love, Aphrodite. The goddess of love, the goddess of love, Aphrodite, is a ridiculous description because she was actually the goddess of sex. A thousand temple prostitutes were in the temple in Corinth. What they were absolutely committed to was this idea: enjoy life now. There are no consequences to complete freedom. Fill our lives with pleasure because we don't really know when it's all going to end. That's why Paul went, I think. Why he went to every place he went to is because he saw, as Jesus once said, when he saw people going about their daily lives, he saw people going about as though they didn't have anybody to guide them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he didn't go in and he didn't confront them and say, you know, he reasoned with them. That's what we read in the, in the little text that we've just read. And the result was that many were immersed in the gospel of Jesus. So we have a historical connection to what went on in Corinth with what we've done today and with the general ethos of the world that we live in today, it is just the world of Corinth. It's just a world that says, fill your life now with everything that's enjoyable and don't worry about the consequences. Pleasure is the thing that will get you by. 
But there's an interesting kind of story that develops around Corinth, and to me, really interesting about baptism. It's one little verse that jumps out at me. We read from Acts, um, and now we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14. Because what we see now with Paul is a really surprising forgetfulness. About two to three years later, after this church in Corinth has been started, he sends a letter, he writes this letter to the church. There's a really surprising little comment. Around about ten years ago, it jumped out off the page to me, and I thought, why? Why would the Bible, and why would Paul behave like this? Look at verse 14. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that they were baptized in my name. And then he says, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. I remember my baptism. It was about 17. I don't think many other people will remember my baptism. But you know what? If I'd been baptized by the Apostle Paul, and then a couple of years later he writes a letter and he says, I can't even remember whether I baptized you. How would he feel? What, what is this? Why is Paul this mega proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus, this man who's so incredibly sharp, suddenly saying, don't remember whether I baptized any more than that. Remember, guys, remember Crispus. Oh yeah, there was Stephanus and his family. They, yeah, I remember them as well. Can't remember anymore. Is this cruel? It's a really important thing, isn't it? For you guys who've been baptized this afternoon, I assure you, you will remember this afternoon for the whole of your days. You will remember this moment where you have without words, made a statement to everybody and said, I am immersed in this Jesus. And I live again in this Jesus. It will be important to you. But it seems to me, and with what Paul says, it's not very important to him if he's just going to forget people who he's baptised. If you're interested in ancestry, if anybody's interested in ancestry, go back so many years and once we go far enough back for, um, to move beyond the idea of uh, birth certificates and census and all of that kind of thing, one of the ways that you find out your heritage, one of the really valuable ways is the baptistry records in churches. As they go back, all the way back through time, this, this record of people who've been baptized with the name and the parents and all of that kind of thing. And here we are in the early part of the church, two years later, and Paul can't remember. See, what's incredibly special is the connectedness of what we've done today. But why is it that there's no memory for Paul? 
I think it's this. I think it's because for Paul, he was far more concerned about why people were baptised than who was baptised. Way more important to him. In fact, he arrives in Corinth and he can write the letter later on to the church in Corinth and he can say, do you know what? When I came to you, I was absolutely laser focused. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. He says this, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, that's the reason why Paul actually isn't that concerned about who was baptized by name and by activity and by date and all of that kind of thing. But what he was desperately concerned about was why people were baptized. He starts with this and he says, when I arrived with you, I was laser focused on one thing. The only thing that I wanted to share with you was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the most important thing. If He was kind of saying, if you forget everything else, remember that. He was kind of saying to those who He didn't remember who He'd baptized, He was also saying, but when you look back in your memory and you remember being baptized, don't think about me, the person who baptized you, because I've forgotten that as well, but remember why you were baptized. Remember that you were baptized into Jesus. That's, see, that's the important thing that Paul had decided. I'll forget everything else. I'll forget who. I'll forget dates. I'll forget times. I remember how, why did he remember Crispus and Gaius? Because that's where the church started. Because what he was really concerned about was Jesus' name being proclaimed. And he knows that the only way that's going to happen is when churches start. That's the only way that people get to know when churches start. Uh, and little groups of people, maybe a church is two or three people who meet in somebody's front room. It's where it starts and then they share it with somebody else and then that person comes to know Jesus. That's what happened in Corinth and then a few more come to faith. And then more and more and more and more and over time it becomes something a bit like this. I remember when there was a tiny little group of us who stood in the middle of this particular room when it was a sports bar and it was empty and just a mess, we said, Father, if, if this is your place for a church, we pray that you'll do all that is necessary for this to be possible. And who knows how long Christ church will last? That doesn't matter because it's just a little part of the church. 2,000 years later, it's here. It's not going to be here in another 2,000 years. So we don't build buildings like that anymore. I guarantee it. But the church will still be going. Because it's still the vehicle. It's still the engine. It's still the way. Why people 
like the three that we've shared with today, get to know about Jesus. Or get carried along on their journey of faith in Jesus. And are part of a community of people who believe in Jesus. And are immersed in Jesus. See, Paul's focus, he was trying to say by not remembering, was don't be connected with me, be connected with Jesus. Don't hold on to me being the one that's baptized you. Hold on to the idea that you are immersed. Focus is the hope that Jesus brings. So what, why, did he, why did he make such a big thing of that? Why in Corinth did that catch light? Why did it become a fire? Why is it, I think, we, you know, we hear all sorts of statistics of the church declining and all of that kind of thing. I think in lots of ways the, the idea of the kind of formal church is dying in our country, but at the same time, what I see is loads of people who are looking for truth and authenticity and reality. And there is another aspect of the church which I think is catching fire again, which is saying that there's got to be more because this life of pleasure that's so temporary, is this it? Is this everything? Everything that we can possibly hope for? Because it seems to me, if this is all it is, and even in the middle of pleasure, so many are desperately sad, so many people who are looking for something more, and then the message of Jesus comes in the same way that it did 2,000 years ago, and it says, immerse in me. Why is immersing in Jesus hope? Because you see, when, when Paul said, I, I came to you and I preached Christ crucified, that's not much hope in one sense. You know, if Jesus died on a cross and that was the end of the story, there is no hope. There's no hope. The reality is that he didn't just die, he rose again. And so when he says, I preach Christ crucified. It's like a banner that sits over the whole message of Jesus that says, He is the promised saving one from all time. He comes, He lives, He dies, He's buried, He rises again, He returns in resurrection to heaven. And He becomes the hope so that us who are immersed in Him can believe the same thing. Can know the same thing. So the temporary, so, so temporary, so tempered, so double-sided pleasures that Corinth shared, that our culture shares today, Paul came along and said there is so much more. And it's Jesus. I hope what we've been able to do today, for those of you, for those of us who do believe in Jesus, 
Every time we, well, every time I see a baptism, I think it's another part of the journey, another few more people who are making that declaration that there is eternal hope in him. But maybe if it's the first time you've ever seen this, that is why we've done what we've done this afternoon. It's 2,000 years old. I don't think they had cameras and video showing it to everybody. I don't think so. But I do know there was the same joy. I do know there was the same joy in a little group of Christians in Corinth when somebody comes along and is baptised. And probably there was spontaneous applause and there was joy and there was happiness and there was confidence and hope that the message of Jesus is worth something.